This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 3rd, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. James Madison led one of the most influential and prolific lives in American history. Although he's sometimes overshadowed by his more celebrated contemporaries, Madison helped to shape our country as perhaps no other founder did, collaborating on the Constitution, the Federalist Papers, and the Bill of Rights. At a recent Cato Book Forum, Richard Brookheiser discussed his new book, James Madison. This is a portion of his remarks. Madison had two children. His wife, Dolly, uh, had one who became Madison's stepson. He was a man named John Payne Todd, and he became a cross to both his mother and his stepfather. But Madison's two children are much more important to us. And uh, as David said, the one we're most familiar with is the Constitution. He was called the father of the Constitution even in his own lifetime, and the title has stuck. And that's not because he got the Constitution of his dreams. Nobody did. Uh, Everybody was disappointed. All of the authors of the Constitution lost something that they would have wanted. But he was called the father of the Constitution because he alone was a major player in every step of its evolution, of its creation, and of its ratification. In 1786, he and Alexander Hamilton essentially hijack a conference on interstate commerce in Annapolis, Maryland, and turn it into a call for a constitutional convention in Philadelphia the following year. When it meets in Philadelphia in May of 1787, Madison is the first out-of-town delegate to show up. He's, of course, a delegate from Virginia. He will speak more than any other delegate except Governor Morris and James Wilson. He attends every session of the Constitutional Convention. He posts himself in front of the head table where it's easiest to hear, and he records every motion and vote and all of the speeches that are given. His notes are by far the most complete set that we have, and historians have been mining them since they were published in 1840, four years after he died. Then after the Constitution goes out to the states, and the Constitution said it required nine of the 13 states to ratify it, he is a major player in two of the must-have states. He's the leader of the pro-Constitution forces in Virginia, which is the largest state in the nation. Uh, Virginia then includes what's now West Virginia and Kentucky. It is also the most populous state, was the most populous state, and certainly thought of itself as the most eminent state. And Madison, in in arguing for the Constitution, he goes head-to-head with Patrick Henry, who is the most eloquent speaker in America at that time. Yet Madison beats him and Virginia narrowly ratifies the Constitution. He's also a major player in New York, which is another must-have state because of its location. If New York does not join the Union, New England is separated from the rest of the country. And Madison's role there is to collaborate with Alexander Hamilton and John Jay in a propaganda campaign for the Constitution. It's a series of newspaper essays New York City has five newspapers at that time, and Hamilton arranges for their essays to run in each of the five uh, uh, serially. A modern op-ed piece is about 750 words. 
Uh, the papers that they wrote were 2,000 words. They were producing them, them at a rate of four a week. It was a grueling, grueling pace. And it was made worse by the fact that Jay got sick early on in the process and only writes five of these essays. So the burden falls on Hamilton and Madison. Hamilton writes 51, Madison writes 29, but many of the most famous are Madison's, and of course this is the Federalist Papers. And then after the Constitution is ratified in the fall of 1788, Madison runs for a seat in the first Congress in February of 1789. He is elected and he makes it his business to see that a Bill of Rights is written and passed by the first Congress. He gets the House to do this, the House prods the Senate to act, and then amendments go out to the country. Uh, this is done uh, to satisfy the critics of the Constitution. It was the main objection that people had, that the Constitution as it left Philadelphia had no Bill of Rights. Uh, Madison comes around to supporting a Bill of Rights uh, because Baptists in Virginia are telling him they need one, and he is a lifelong supporter of religious liberty. Uh, perhaps the first issue he ever took up as a young man in his early 20s was the persecution of Virginia's Baptists by the established colonial Anglican Church. This enraged James Madison. Uh, he fought religious persecution all his life, and the Baptists knew that. They knew he was their friend. So when they're unhappy about the lack of a Bill of Rights, they let him know it, and he knows they are unhappy. He also responds to his best friend in the world, who's Thomas Jefferson, who's uh, on the sidelines of this whole fight. He's in Paris in the late 1780s as our ambassador to France, but Madison keeps him briefed and informed. And Jefferson's letters back to Madison uh, all have the same shape. They're a combination of applause and encouragement, but also saying the one thing you've left out is a Bill of Rights. And he says this over and over again. Uh, a Bill of Rights is something that every people deserves from its government. And I wonder if by letter five or six, Madison might have been gritting his teeth when he comes to this Bill of Rights paragraph, because here he's been in the trenches, and Jefferson is over in Paris just, just giving him this advice. Uh, but he comes around, and he sees that a Bill of Rights will have a teaching function. It's not the word he uses, but he says that having it there in paper in black and white will cause people to take these rights seriously, and it will affect their thinking, and it will affect their behavior. So therefore, it's probably a good idea to have one. And so he uh, uh, makes it uh, an item on the agenda of the first Congress, Twelve amendments go out to the states. The first one, the original First Amendment, has to do with the size of congressional districts, and it never passes. The original Second Amendment has to do with congressional pay, and that doesn't ratify until 1992. It's the longest ratification process that any amendment has had so far. But the uh, original amendments, 3 through 12, are ratified fairly rapidly, so they become amendments 1 through 10, and the fact that there's another famous set of 10 laws makes Madison, in effect, the secular Moses of the Bill of Rights. Richard Brookheiser is author of the new book, James Madison. You can watch or listen to the full book forum at cato.org.